collapse to Revelation chapter 20. We are beginning to wrap up uh, the book of Revelation, and in so doing, wrapping up this uh, 2020 series. Um, last week, we, we began to look at several things that will happen when all is said and done, and God ushers in eternity. Now, admittedly, there are a lot of unknowns. There are a lot of I don't knows, and today in chapter 20, it really is no different. But these are things that we're looking at that, that we, can, we can stand on, that we know will happen. I know, like we sang today. Uh, first, we saw last week, heaven will rejoice. And don't we know that there will be an infinite number of things to rejoice over? However, all of them ultimately depend upon our God. Uh, he has avenged his people. We would have had no vengeance if it wasn't for him. He has exercised his authority there is no other authority besides his, and he has emerged victorious. Heaven will rejoice because of this and because of who he is. He's described as, as glorious in power, true and righteous, reigning over all, and all of these things make ready the bride of Christ, the church, whom Jesus loves so much that he laid down his life for her, has redeemed her over and over and over and has done whatever it took to save her. And so heaven rejoices. Chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Last week we, we looked at two suppers banquets, if you will. And they, we saw those possibly correspond with the two judgments. Remember, uh, judgment is used in two different ways in the Word of God. One is to give rewards. Another is for condemnation. One is for believers. The other is for non-believers. When the church is taken away, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for all our works. Those done for God will survive. Those done not for God will not survive. Uh, notice uh, this in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4. It's a love story, but it, it, she's, the bride wrote this. He brought me to his banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. This is a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I was reminded, it's interesting that Christopher is here today. I was reminded when we studied Song of Solomon uh, was when Christopher was in the hospital. And so uh, just to uh, look back, um, it, was, it was a scary time. But look what the Lord has done. You know, uh, just like we, we sang, he, he is good. Um, man, this, this, uh, this banquet here, this supper of the Lamb, as those who know Jesus, uh, we don't have to fear this judgment because this banquet is covered with love, the love of Christ, and it will be a time of, of worship and rejoicing. Heaven will rejoice. Christ will return. And what we see is uh, this is not as a baby in a manger this is not as a lowly carpenter. This is not a man on, on a cross or in a borrowed tomb. This is the resurrected and triumphant Jesus. He's described as faithful and true. Uh, with eyes like fire and many crowns on his head, the word of God 
with a sword proceeding from his mouth, who will rule the nations with a rod of iron. This Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will return and he will defeat his enemies. He will throw the Antichrist and the false prophet into the eternal lake of fire. Now, by this time, two of the terrible trio have been disposed of. In chapter 20 today, we will see the fate of Satan. The world as we know it is no more. What's pictured here is the world as we have never seen it before. We continue to look at a list of things that we can be sure will happen. We look at Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. If you're able to stand out of respect for the word of God, please do so. Hear the word of the Lord. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. What we see, number one, on your outline, Satan will be defeated. Satan will be defeated. Verse one confirms the identity of the dragon. We have seen this throughout Revelation. It is Satan. And so these verses tell us more of the same story of God's sovereignty, And it it tells the story of who is in control. Remember, Satan was cast out of heaven in chapter 12, and now he's cast into the bottomless pit. God clearly demonstrates his authority as the limits he places on Satan ratchet tighter and tighter and tighter. For all throughout the ages who have found ourselves asking some of the same questions that the psalmist did, Psalm 13, 2, how long will my enemies be exalted over me? Psalm 94, 3, Lord, how long will the wicked triumph? The answer is found right here in Revelation chapter 20. Notice the bottomless pit. This is uh, not the final place of judgment for Satan and his demons. That will be the lake of fire spoken of here in verse 10 and spoken of by Jesus in Matthew 25. The bottomless pit is more like a a holding cell that they will reside in for a thousand years, the the thousand-year millennial reign, which is a time that Jesus will make everything the devil and his demons have twisted right. Jesus will make it right, and after which they will be granted a short reprise to accomplish God's last purpose for them. Now, this is the first of six references to the thousand-year reign. It's known as the millennium. The study of it is known as millennialism. And there are at least three major views on millennialism. And it's another one of those rib issues that we've talked about before. Um, This is not a heart issue. We can uh, disagree on millennial, uh, on the millennium, uh, and and still be friends. We're still on on the same team. Now, I will say this, millennialism can be confusing because the three major views, they tend to overlap in some areas. And there are subcategories under these major views. 
So bear with me as we attempt to make some deep water as shallow as possible. So here's millennialism in a nutshell. The first one is premillennialism. Premillennialism. You can you can write that down. Premillennialism sees the thousand years as literal, where the church is raptured and Jesus literally returns to reign on this earth for a thousand years. Now, there are numerous uh, Bible passages that will back that up. Uh, the second one is postmillennialism. Postmillennialism. It asserts that the thousand years are figurative in that they symbolize a long period of time of a golden age of righteousness and the spread of the gospel during the church age in which we now live. And it will be completed when Jesus returns. Now this view believes the description of Jesus reigning on this earth is spiritual and primarily references his reign in our hearts. The third view is amillennialism or no millennialism. Now, that views these prophecies has already been fulfilled when Jesus came the first time. And we are living in the figurative 1,000-year reign as we speak. Now, this view believes that Christ will not establish a 1,000-year reign on the earth after his second coming. Uh, once he comes back, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And there will be no rapture. Now, church volumes of books have been written on this subject. And... and Honestly, there are questions that arise with all of them. Now, personally for me, there are a lot of questions that come up with post-millennialism and amillennialism. Because it really doesn't seem like much of a golden age of righteousness that we currently live in. Uh, nor does it appear that Jesus is reigning over this earth to the capacity we all know and believe he is able to do. And so um, I have adopted kind of a, a fourth view. It's called panmillennialism. And panmillennialism just believes that everything will pan out in the end because uh, we really can't figure all this out. Um, millennialism, like uh, many things in the Word of God, it depends on what, what lens you look through. Uh, whatever scripture, you, whatever lens you come looking at scripture, that's what you'll find. Um, so, um, different views. If we take it in the order that we've seen it, Jesus returns in chapter 19, and in chapter 20 is the millennial 1,000-year reign. Now, can we take it as we've seen it? Because we know that John writes circular. That's another valid question. But here's what we know. However it plays out, it will be just as God designed it, Jesus will return, Satan and all the enemies of God will be defeated. So Satan is, is locked up, no longer able to deceive the nations. Now again, we'll see in a moment, he'll be released after the thousand years. Uh, number two on your outline, are you with me this morning? All right. The saints will reign with Christ. The saints will reign with Christ. Let's pick it up in verse 4. I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their, their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. 
This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, one of the questions that came up when I was reading this is, who is they in verse 4? It says, they sat on thrones, judgment was committed to them. And, and the best explanation that, that I found was through a devotion on version, uh, which was called uh, Revelation Explained. I, I, I found it the week I started working on, on this one. And so it explained that they, the, the next blank on your outline, they are believers. They are believers. And they sit on these, these seats of authority under Jesus' rule. These are the government that will rule during the thousand years, just like Jesus would when it ruled. So this isn't heaven, it's earth, just like God originally designed it to be. So the answer to all the prayers, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is finally being answered. So they are believers, and the rest of the dead, in verse 5, are unbelievers. The rest of the dead are unbelievers. It says they won't take part in the thousand-year reign. Now notice it speaks of the first resurrection in verses 5 and 6. Uh, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. And so that tells us that the thousand-year reign is for believers since from the beginning of time to the end of the tribulation. The next blank on your outline, the, the second death is spiritual death. The second death is spiritual death, which believers will not experience. It has no power over us. That's when death was arrested and my life began, the moment I gave my life to Jesus. Death has no power over us. Isaiah the prophet gives us a glimpse into what this millennial time will look like. Uh, Isaiah 11, 6 through 9. Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. They tell of Jesus reigning from the capital city of Jerusalem. There will be no war. The wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard and the goat will get along. The cow and the bear will graze together. And a child will be able to lay beside all of them. And then Habakkuk 2.14 says, The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I don't think anybody can convince me that we're there yet. Nor has there ever been a time in history that we could describe the earth like this. And so some of those beliefs that were already there, they're just kind of hard to grasp. But this is what we have to look forward to. Satan will be defeated. The saints will reign with Christ. That leads us to number three. The satanic rebellion will be crushed. The satanic rebellion will be crushed. Verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Remember, that prison is the bottomless pit. And remember, God has one last purpose for him, and it is to destroy him. So Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. To gather them together to battle, whose number is as of the sand of the sea. So, uh, church, this is another deep spot. And so bear with me, uh, because as always, there is room for interpretation. 
says that uh, Satan will be released from the bottomless pit. And go out and deceive nations into going to battle against God and ultimately be thrown into the lake of fire. So who are these nations? Because remember, this is, this is heaven on earth. Who are these nations? Believers are, are sealed. They cannot be removed from the Lord's hand. We cannot lose our salvation. And we have scripture to back up that belief. And so I understand these nations will be populated by those who have survived the tribulation. Possibly believers, possibly unbelievers. Uh, Jesus told the Sadducees that there would be no marriage in the resurrection in Matthew twenty-two thirty, And so these that survived the tribulation didn't die, therefore they weren't resurrected. So it would appear that these are the ones that have repopulated the earth over this thousand year period. And just like our parents being Christians doesn't make you and me Christians, and just like our parents not being Christians doesn't necessarily mean that we will not be Christians, so it is during the millennium. People will still have to choose to follow Christ. It speaks of free will. It tells us that even in perfect conditions, they don't lend themselves automatically to trust in Jesus. It tells us that people in and of themselves are desperately wicked and can only be changed by surrendering to the Lord. And it tells us that there will be some who appear to know the Lord and put on a great facade for everyone to see, but deep in their hearts, they too have rejected Jesus as king. So they will join the others in the army of the deceived who somehow think that they can fight God and win. So this would include Satan, demons, unbelievers throughout the ages. Again, open to interpretation, but this is the simplest way uh, to present the best explanation that I could find. And I've still wrestled with it even this week. And so that's kind of where pan-millennialism comes in. Uh, we can't be sure. There are unanswered questions, even with all of this, uh, open to interpretation. But we trust that it will work out. It will all pan out in the end, just as God wants it to be. Are you with me this morning? Let's continue in verse 9. It says, they, that's this army. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. That's Jerusalem, where Jesus now sits as king. The fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So if you wonder why God would allow Satan to be released from the bottomless pit. It's in order to destroy him once and for all. Now notice the gospel even here. What is described is in this millennial reign is a perfect environment where law was executed precisely and perfectly, just like Jesus, King Jesus, wanted it to, and yet the law could not change man's sinful heart. Galatians 3.24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. 
But at this point, God has one thing left to do. Number four on your outline, the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment. There will be a great white throne judgment. Verse 11, And then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead and those who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his work. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone found, not found, written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So church, this is the second resurrection. In, in the first, believers were raised. Now unbelievers will be raised to stand before the judgment seat of God. And what a most terrifying place that will be. Notice it says that heaven and earth flee away. There is no place to hide. And I believe that every person will be replaying the times that they heard the gospel and did not respond as they stand right here. If you choose not to trust Jesus, this very moment, Mother's Day 2020, just might replay in your mind. Every time that Jesus reached out to you, every time that creation testified of its creator, every time you felt that tug on your heart but you ignored it, every time you heard that voice offering eternal life, every Christmas that you heard the story of his birth, and every Easter that you heard the story of his sacrifice. It will be a time of absolute hopelessness and regret and despair, the likes of which mankind has never known. One cannot make this moment into something bigger than it will be. Because in this moment, sinners will receive the recompense for their sins that Jesus offered over and over and over and over again to take for them. They wouldn't surrender to Jesus in this life, and so now they must face him as judge. So by what will they be judged? Well, verse 12 says that books were opened. And so I think there's going to be at least three books. John uh, 12, 48 says, He who rejects me... And does not receive my words, has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him on in the last day. And so first, the first book will be the word of God. The word of God will be present. First Peter 1.25 tells us that it will remain forever. And so it will be there in eternity. Verse 12 also tells us that there is a book of works. The second book. The works of these unbelievers. Now this does not suggest that they will be able to earn their salvation. But some believe that these, these works will determine the degree of punishment that they will endure in hell. Now if that catches you off guard, look at Matthew eleven twenty through 24 It suggests that there are degrees of punishment in hell. So Jesus, as the righteous judge, will assign each sinner the place they deserve. And none will be able to argue, none will be able to question, God's books contain absolute truth. The third book is the book of life. 
the book of life. And this one contains the names of those redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Remember, we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Those not will be cast into the lake of fire forever. Church, uh, some have, have rejected the idea of a real hell. Because if there is no real hell, then there is no real consequence for sin. And then we can live however we want to. But just because we don't believe it doesn't make it and all the truth that Jesus taught about it not real. God has given us the truth of mankind, our sinfulness. God has given us the truth of, of himself and what he did to redeem us through Christ. He has given us the truth about heaven and hell. And nothing that we can do or say or think can change that. We can try to make God and the gospel into what we want them to be. As we've said it before, there are parts of the gospel that are not meant to feel good. And even at that, they're not condemning. They offer amazing grace. God doesn't send people to hell. They send themselves there by rejecting Jesus. Hell tells of, of the justice of God. Hell tells of the responsibility of man. Hell tells of the awfulness of sin. And at the great white throne judgment, there will be a judge, but no jury. There will be a prosecution, but no defense. There will be a sentence, but no appeal. Here God will finally deal with sin in the eternal lake of fire. And friend, you can escape that judgment by giving your life to Christ today, if you never have. John 5, 24, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You just bow your heads and close your eyes as we go into a time of invitation. It's a, it's a heavy chapter, really. We don't like to talk about hell, the reality of hell. But we cannot deny it either. We always like to answer two questions at this time. What has God said to you? What are you going to do about it? 